Welcome to this pop-up podcast series, Magic and Mayhem, Discover the Secrets to Creating Magnificent Books for Kids and Teens, with the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses. I'm Valerie Koo, I'm founder of the Australian Writers' Centre, and through this series, we're bringing you a curated group of wonderful authors who all specialise in writing for children. Now, as the series rolls out, you're going to hear from authors across all different age groups. We're starting off with picture book authors, then authors of chapter books, then middle grade fiction, and then young adult books. Some writers, of course, write across all those age groups, but then we're also going to hear from publishers of children's books. So this is a great overview of the whole industry. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're interested in writing for one of those age groups. But I really, really want to emphasize, make sure you listen to them all, not just your particular age group that you're interested in, because I guarantee that you'll discover ideas and techniques that you'll be able to apply to your own writing, regardless of what age group you're writing for. In this interview, I spoke with Australian writer Emma Allen. Emma started her career as a paediatric speech therapist. But she decided to switch to writing, and her very first published book, The Terrible Suitcase, won the Children's Book Council of Australia Book of the Year. Not bad, huh? Even while Emma was working with kids, helping them with their language disorders, she was using stories. She started writing these stories down and eventually decided to go back to uni and study writing. I think a lot of people will identify with Emma's journey. She didn't set out on her creative path with an abundance of confidence. She took the steps that felt right to her, but she still didn't feel like she was a writer. It wasn't until she started getting some feedback from industry people through her course that she thought a career as a writer was possible. And not only was it possible, she's now an award-winning children's writer. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Emma Allen. So thank you so much for joining us today, Emma. Thank you, Valerie. I'm looking forward to it. Now, my friend Ernest, very exciting. It's about the first day of school. Uh, For readers who haven't read your book yet, can you tell us what it's about? Uh, Yes, it's a story about two children and I guess the trials and tribulations of growing up. Uh, It's about a child who um, learns to be brave um, by making a new friend on his first day of school. And how did this idea for this book form? Like what made you think, oh, I'm going to write about the first day of school and about these two kids? Uh, Look, originally, Valerie, it it wasn't – the idea wasn't to write about the first day of school. Mm -hmm. It was really – that sort of came later. It was really about this little – guy, um, Oscar, who popped into my head and I imagine what his character was like. I've got a little boy who's a similar age and um, he just grew on me over time and I started to scribble down ideas of maybe little things that might happen in his life, uh, how he might react to friends and um, one day a scenario popped into my head where he was um, playing with a dress-ups box and um, a kid in a dragon costume frightens him. And I thought, oh, I think that's that's the beginning of my story. Wow. <laughs> and it grew from there. It grew from there. Yes. Is that how most of your books form with a character first, like Oscar or whoever? Um, it does, Valerie. I've got, just before our interview, I was looking through some books that I have on the shelf that are like... Um, little writer's journals for me and 
when I sit down to start a new story, I spend time looking through them. And it struck me that none of them have stories as such. They, they're full of characters. Mm. And when I go to start a story, then I might be drawn to a character one more than the other. And that then starts me off thinking about, you know, who is this character? Where do they live? Who might their friends be? And then a story goes from that. Now, you are, well, you were a paediatric speech therapist originally, is that correct? That's correct. How in the world did you go from being a paediatric speech therapist to becoming an author? Like, what was the, uh, did you always want to be a writer or did you discover it later in life? Uh, What are the steps? Uh, Look, it's a good question. I think both is the answer. Um, I always wanted to be a writer and I discovered it um, when I was very young, like in year one or year two. Oh. I used to love writing little poems and I've even got them, I think at my parents' house somewhere, little copies of poems I used to write and a first picture book that, that I did. <laughs> and I just loved stories back then and it stayed with me and through my high school years I, I wrote poetry and when I got older I thought, oh, I, I really want to be a poet when I grow up. And then when I went through high school, I, um, I was quite, I was always drawn to literature and the arts, um, but I also had a bit of a science-y math spend as well. Mm. So I thought that speech therapy might sort of be a nice fit with the linguistics and the narrative, putting it together in the science. And so I did that and I had a great time. Um, and during those years, I spent a lot of time working with children with um, language disorders who um, needed assistance with understanding narratives. Mm. And I lived with stories, and I hadn't intended to do anything further with stories except to enjoy them with the children that I worked with. Uh, but I found that um, sometimes when you're working one-on-one with children all day, we did do groups, but a lot of my work was one-on-one, it became quite um, quite lonely in terms of adult company. Mm. And so what I did was um, to entertain myself, I put up a, a poster of a dinosaur on my wall and I used to tell the dinosaur stories about the truth <laughs> that, that I saw. And um, it became such a fun thing and I, I drew the beautiful children that I saw into this and they used to come in and they used to tell the dinosaur stories and um, that was one of the you know techniques I used to get them into narrative and to understand why narrative is so much fun. And um, anyway, so I did this and after a few years it turned into a journal mm-hmm. and when I started dating my husband, I... Uh, Said, oh, I used to read him some funny stories from my journal and to my surprise he loved them mm. and I confessed that I had always wanted to um, study literature and I was quite young at the time and and my husband said well um, why don't you go back and do literature and I thought well why not so I went back and I did an arts degree mm. um, and during that time I my goal was to explore what I liked and what I was drawn to. Mm. So I worked as a speech therapy, studied um, literature and film and a bit of drama as well. And um, during that time, I just kept 
growing closer to both film studies and literature and ended up doing a um, honours degree in uh, creative writing which combined literature and film studies. And that was great. And I had a ball and I, I grew um, as a you know writer and in my understanding of literature, I thought, right, it's got to stop there. In the meantime, we got married. I had my first baby. And I thought, I can't stop. <laughs> Can't stop doing I can't what? stop writing. I, right. I want to keep writing. So I enrolled in a Master's of Creative Writing. Mm. And when my first child was a baby, I, I began that. Um, and during that time, I came across a subject called children's literature. Mm. And um, the lecturer, the lovely lecturer there, Bill Alderman, who's at the National Centre for Children's Literature here in Canberra, she said... I think you've got a knack um, for writing for children. Why don't you have a go? And so I, during that time, I, I tried to learn, well, how, how would I begin? How would I send things off? Who would want to read what I write? Mm-hmm. And, and I had a go, and it began from there. So while you were doing, when, while you were exploring literature, you decided to go to uni and study it. Was the intention purely you know, like out of pleasure or in the back of your mind did you think I might have a career change? I definitely wanted a career change. Right. I loved the speech therapy but it, I found that during my days as a speech therapy therapist I, mm. I wanted to be closer to literature. I don't think, I, I never imagined pursuing a writing career. I don't know why because I loved writing but it wasn't in my head. Mm-hmm. But I did think, well, maybe I can somehow get involved in li- the literary scene somehow. Yeah. And and that was, I began very open, very open-minded. So at what point, when you say that you didn't really think you'd be a writer, you just thought you'd be in the industry, so to speak. Yeah. Um, at what point did you think, oh, I can be a writer? <laughs> um, I thought, I thought, I think I'm still fine. I think I'm still learning to think that. Mm. I things changed during the masters when I started producing pieces of writing that people responded to really positively. Mm-hmm. Um, I had written bits and pieces for family and uh, friends over the years, and they'd always really enjoyed them. But I think it's a different thing when when someone who knows the industry says to you, "Hey, I think you've got something you should." you should try again and have another go. and mm. It just gave me the confidence I needed. And now I think I've got to the point where um, every time I start something, I think I'm not sure I can do this. And then the other part of me says, but I love this. I've got the background and why don't you have a go? And so I have a go and then it just grows and grows. And, and by the end, I'm, I feel really good about it. And so what was your first book? And take us through the steps on how you got that break, how you, you know, got the first publisher to say yes. Yes. Look, I was extremely fortunate and the more, I'm almost learning backwards, I think, um, in this, but the more, yeah, I I find out, the more I realise that I was just very, very fortunate with how it happened. The first manuscript that became accepted was called um, Grandma, the Baby and Me, Mm -hmm. which was actually the second book that I had published. Um, 
but it was the first manuscript that was accepted. And I I sent that off. Actually, it's quite a funny story because I thought I, I had consulted some some people around around the place who I knew wrote, and mm. I said, look, I'd like to send this off. And most people said, good luck, but you probably don't have any chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said to my husband, well, I think that might be right, but I'm just going to have to go anyway. <laughs> mm. I'm going to send it off anyway, and then I'll know that I've given it my best shot. Yeah. So I, I looked around and I, I followed the advice of what a lot of people say, which is to look look around the books that speak to you, that you yep. enjoy. And um, so I did that. And I ended up thinking that um, Omnibus might like mm-hmm. my story. And um, I printed it off and, and sent it off hard copy and didn't really expect to hear. And then one day, to my amazement, a few months later... I received a phone call from um, Dan Blacklock at Omnibus mm-hmm. who said, um, we love your story, we want to publish it, can you send us an electronic copy? Wow. And how did you feel? Oh, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> um, and as I was saying, it's quite funny because I, I was really very convinced that no one would say yes and I'd, mm-hmm. I'd printed off, I hadn't actually kept kept a copy for myself and when they said send in an electronic copy I thought I, I didn't even keep one which is terrible because I usually keep you know <laughs> drafts of everything you know and but I was still developing you know I was just beginning and I hadn't I just really hadn't believed it would happen and so anyway I went back through my archives and we found a copy from that I'd kept at the university on file there <laughs> Oh my goodness. In the email, and I printed it off. And from that moment on, I've religiously kept every draft. <laughs> yes. Um, and developed quite a process now for dealing with all those drafts. But that that was the very, very first one. And how did that end up being the second book published? If that was the first manuscript. Yeah. Look, it just it took a long, long time um, to find an illustrator. I think mm. that was that was the story. Um, and I, in the meantime, I had written some other stories. I'd sent off uh, one called The Terrible Suitcase, which was actually the first one that came out. Yeah. Um, I really loved doing The Terrible Suitcase. I'd found a little bit of confidence by then, and I'd done much more work with my writing and with yeah. my masters. I loved that process. I sent it in to the same company, and... Um, was successful with that and the way that the schedule worked and the availability of illustrators and what have you it just it just worked out that way and in fact that won the 2013 cbca early childhood book of the year and was shortlisted for the wa premier's literary award so it was super successful yes um just to give people an idea the the book you have now my friend ernest yes how many words is it about about oh, it's probably about five hundred words. Yeah, so it's it, it's five hundred words because it's a picture book. It's illustrated by Hannah Somerville. Now, some people think, "Wow, five hundred words!" You know, I'm writing eighty thousand words or whatever. <laughs> Can you give people an idea of how long it takes you? And I know it's a little bit like asking how long is a piece of string, but just some yeah. kind of idea 
on t- from gestation from con- concept to gestation to writing to you know all of that even though it's only 500 words it's it's still a long time isn't it like how long did it take yeah. you um this one took this one took actually an enormously long time it it it's gone through it began as a completely different story right and it sat on my computer for for quite a while and for me, that's how I work. I, I, I generate a lot. Um, and then what I do is I, I put it away and I leave it for, for at least a year. Just, wow. Yeah, at least a year. Oh, my goodness. Um, and I have, at the moment, I've got about three years of stories. Just simple ideas, beginnings of stories, middle of ideas that I like. So they start off in journals, hmm. just these little characters. And then I might just begin a story one day or I might come up with a concept and I'll just type it in my computer and I do that. And I have a, a number going at the same time and then um, I've developed now, as I was saying, a couple of years backlog. And then I go through and then I choose when I'm about to write a story, I go back through those and I try to choose one that I feel um, that the timing is right mm. to work on. Mm. Just one that I'm drawn to and then I work on that and it might take me a couple of months then to go through and really get the story right then I put it away and I leave it again um, for a couple of months and then I come back to it and um, I go through it again I try to make it better to edit it improve it whatever way I can and then I think um, I generally show some people at this stage um, and then if, you know, all positive there, then I might think, well, is this good to send off to someone? So it takes ages. <laughs> so when you are actually working, when you're actually focusing on it and you're not, it's not put away, yep. what's your daily routine like? Do you work on it like for eight hours or like do you have some kind of routine when you're focusing on a particular work? Um, I think it's a nightly routine. I've got um, three young children, Valerie, who um, have the youngest is now three. Mm. Um, so in the years that I've been writing these, I've, I've really been in the chaos of young children. Um, but that has its own. I carry the story with me during the day, I, I guess is the best way to describe it. When, it, mm. when I'm really working on it, um, it stays with me. Yes. And it stays with me in the car. I have a little thing on my phone um, that I type down ideas if they come to me when I'm out and about and then uh, I do all the the nightly chaos and um, after the children are in bed and everything's sorted out then I'll sit down with the characters and with the stories and I'll go through sections of the story and um, I'll go through you know I, I try and be fairly methodical, mm. so I look at you know, the narrative arc, I look at the language choice, I look at, um, you know, how I've, the order of which I've sort of written things, I look at characters, I just, I try and go through um, and write, sort of edit my own work like that, and and as I do that, then the story grows and it shrinks and it grows and it shrinks. Mm. And... Um... What age group would you say your picture books are for? So far, um, the picture books that have been out have tended to 
uh, be for the preschool to year two market, mm-hmm. preschool to year one. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people with their terrible suitcase are a lot of year two students that come up to me that really enjoy that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that uh, Grandma the Baby and Me was read on play school recently and so mm-hmm. that, you know, they obviously felt that hit the preschool age group, which was mm. amazing and was a highlight to see that read. Yes. And um, I think my friend Ernest is probably hits the preschool to year one. Right. Or, yeah. or possibly year two, yeah. And how do you immerse yourself into the world of a preschooler or, a you know, a year one child? Like how do you um, get your mind into... Mm-hmm how they would want to read or, or or what they would want to, what kind of stories that w- would resonate with them? Um, partly I'm immersed in it. Um, I have those three young children and I mm. just, I guess my heart, you know, aches a bit when I, I see all the trials they go through and I really? remember how hard and how happy, you know, it is to grow up. It's just such a... Really? Um, yeah, it's a, it's such an exciting time. I really love it. I really have a passion for trying to explain it. I I think a lot of people, it's easy to forget in the you know busyness of adult life, just mm. how rich that time is. Mm. And yeah. And I, you vividly remember how it was for you? I do. I I remember lots of. I've got vivid memories of that time. I was telling my daughter's class the other day. Um, when I went in for a school visit that I remember um, when I was little um, Possum Magic came out mm. and um, we did a big we had a wonderful librarian who used to make these amazing displays for the library and one of them was we made these polystyrene lamingtons to celebrate <laughs> Possum Magic and the teacher said to me now remember these are not real lamingtons <laughs> They're going to look like lemmingtons, but they're not real lemmingtons. So we painted them brown and we rolled them in coconut. And I just thought they were amazing. And I knew that they were, I knew they were fake because I'd made them, I'd painted mm. them. And on the way out, I, I still remember this, we were lining up and, and they said, you know, great work, we're off to class now, don't touch the lemmingtons. And I said to my daughter, I couldn't help it, I just had to have a bite. <laughs> and so I took a bite and got a mouthful of paint and polystyrene. I still remember it. Oh my God. But I, to me, even though I knew that we had made those Lemmingtons, it was so real mm. and so exciting that I had to have a bite. And that's what stories like for me. I just thought if stories can move you to eat polystyrene Lemmingtons when you're in YouTube, <laughs> yeah. they're worth, you know, investing in. I just, yeah. I've I've loved stories ever since. I had such wonderful teachers um, mm. during those years who love to read our stories and love to do anything to do with stories. And I have a lot of very vivid memories from those years. Wow. When you were, um, I mean, you obviously decided to become a speech therapist. Did you, uh, did you ever seriously consider going into writing the first time around? Uh, I did. I, I've got journals, as I sort of said, yes. I think, over over the years, but I never could see as a young person how I could do it. Yes, same here. I mean, yes, I'd make the switch later in life as well. Yeah. Right. 
Okay. Um, so what's next for you? What are you working on? If, are you, if you said you've got a number of stories like in the cupboard or in yes. the hard drive yes. or whatever. <laughs> I do. Um, is there one that you, is going to be your next book that you've decided on? Um, so beautiful Hannah Somerville, she's the illustrator mm. for My Friend Ernest. She also illustrated Grandmother Baby and Me. We've struck up a great creative partnership. Um, I really needed someone who I could toss about some ideas with. Uh, as I said, I usually work from home late at night <laughs> on my own, which is which is fun. But sometimes you just really need people to toss around your ideas with. Um, I've grown to trust Hannah over the last couple of books we've done. And I think we have a very similar way of seeing. Mm. And... I, I, even though we'd actually only met, we've only actually met the once, um, I think we're just very, very fortunate in how it's worked out that we have such a lovely connection. Mm. So um, what we've done is we, we've tossed some ideas about and when I get to a point with a manuscript that I think, hey, I really like this, um, I might send it to Hannah. Right. And I find that enormously helpful because she has, um, you know the artist and the visual sort of perspective on how to bring it to life. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm learning a lot from Hannah about um, how an artist might see what you're writing, and 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 that's been really exciting. So um, yeah, I've I've shot Hannah a few stories, and um, how we work is that she puts together a few sketches, mm. and. Um, if she likes the story and then we might further toss some ideas about together uh, and so we're doing one like that at the moment so it doesn't have a contract as such yet but we're working um, it, it, it's quite advanced with how far it's come along so hopefully that will come off at yeah. some point What's your advice to aspiring writers who hope to be in a position like you are one day? You know, maybe they're speech therapists and they're yes. secretly <laughs> wanting to write. <laughs> yeah, What's your advice I, on the steps they should take? Um, I, it's, it's different for everyone, isn't it? But yes. I'll, I'll tell you what it's like for me. Mm -hmm. um, for me, what I needed to do was to get some confidence that um, – what I was writing had some merit mm. and everyone has different ways of going about that um, and I, you know, that's great but for me I really did have to go back and study literature and do it, <laughs> do it the long way I guess um, but it's given me such a great freedom now mm. because I feel that when people ask me what I'm doing with the book or with the story or with the words I can really respond in a professional way mm -hmm. um, hopefully <laughs> I, I think that I can I've learnt just so many invaluable skills like how to how to work on a text and mm. how to not feel discouraged if it's not working out and how to re-approach it and renegotiate it mm. and all those things all those skills for me personally I, I wouldn't have had had I not gone back mm. and, and done that but people get those skills other ways but that's that's how I would have done it the other thing is I would say to people um, love stories mm. um, love what you do because for me 
I've there've been occasions where I've tried to force a story mm. and I don't know if this is common but for me if I try and do that it's just completely it just falls down flat. Mm. Um so love what you do if it's not working and um, you can't work out how it's not working and you're not liking it leave it and then come back to it find something else keep working but leave that particular story work on something else and I find that cyclical approach really good do you um, think you'll write for other age groups one day yes I hope so um, I'm writing a novel at the moment for what um, for early high school age group, mm -hmm. so um, it may I may bump it up higher into a young adult novel. Um, so I'm doing a PhD uh, at the moment with the University of Canberra, yep. and part of that PhD is a, is a novel for young people. Uh, so I will. I'll explore in all sorts of different areas. But I've begun in picture books because that's where I felt um, I fitted. It's where I felt I knew. So, you know, everyone knows the same, right, what you know. And yes. that's where I felt, you know, I, I sat best. Um, yeah, and the big thing for me is to stay authentic. Yeah. Um, so I don't try to write things that aren't me. Um, so a lot of people um, maybe want to try something different um, and I think that's great but maybe find uh, what you think your own voice is first mm. and then explore that and I think that can yeah, give you a lot of confidence. At least that's sort of what I'm doing. And well, you're obviously been... doing something right because oh. um, <laughs> the books are very successful and award-winning. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, great advice, great advice. Yeah. Um, all right, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for all of your uh, insight and your time today, Emma. Thanks, Valerie. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd love to create your own picture book, a popular five-week course in writing picture books will show you how. In less than a few hours a week, you'll discover what you need to know about point of view in a picture book, structure and pace, as well as language and rhythm, finding the right voice, working with illustrators, publishing options and much more. Complete it online for ultimate convenience and receive personalised tutor feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash picturebooks. I think the big takeaway from this interview is confidence. This is something that all writers struggle with, both new writers and well-established ones. It comes and goes. You'll alternately love and hate your work. But like everything, confidence is something that you can work on. Emma was fortunate that doing her master's helped her to find her confidence. Obviously, I think doing courses is a great way to strengthen your belief in yourself. Studying writing can give you the knowledge you need to really see your way forward. It also helps you to find a group of people who are in the same situation that you're in. There's nothing like finding your tribe. I think that when you do courses, it affirms some of the things that you know instinctively, but you weren't sure whether you were doing it right. So yeah, I'm a big, big fan of getting that confidence in whatever way you can. 
Well, where you get your confidence might be different. It might be a writing meetup or an online group or on a blog or social media, or maybe your children love your story so much that you just know that there's something there. Whatever it is, find your confidence and let yourself thrive. You've been listening to Magic and Mayhem with the Australian Writers' Centre. For writing tips and a great newsletter and the wonderful Furious Fiction short story competition where you can win $500 every month and incredible courses that make a huge difference in people's lives, which you can do online or in person, then join our wonderful and friendly writing community. It could be your tribe. The best way is to go to writerscentre.com.au and sign up to our weekly newsletter. That's writerscentre.com.au.